This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Peter Ivanov, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, once again, and this time I'm joined by Peter Ivanov. He is a seasoned manager, entrepreneur, and authority on virtual teams, seeing as I just came back from running remote as we're recording this. I have a link to that in the show notes. Um, I wanted to have a conversation with him about you know, dealing with virtual teams, adopting them, um, working with distributed workers in a way that doesn't you know, segment them nearly as much as maybe they can be because they're separated by geography. Maybe how do you unite them more? Things like that. I wanted to get into that. Now, he's got over two decades of global experience, and he's an award-winning team leader and author of the Amazon top three book, Virtual Power Teams. He's innovated in multinational IT management and now coaches executives on new leadership styles. He's a world senior champion in discus. We didn't get into that, although I wish we did. And he's a passionate supporter of young talents. His dynamic keynotes in four languages blend his diverse experiences to inspire top business performance in geographically dispersed teams. So much to get into. Let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Peter Ivanov here on A Productive Conversation. Enjoy. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on the program. It's a pleasure, Mike. So we had the pleasure of uh, both attending the Running Remote Conference. We will link to that conference in the show notes, of course, because uh, how many times have you been to the conference now? Was this your, you've been a couple times, right? It's my second time, but uh, probably I I wouldn't miss anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's going to be back where... Yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to be back where it's going to be back in the same locations, I think. Yes. So yes. that'll be that'll be helpful because um, it's not yes. too far for you because you're based in where again? I'm based in Hamburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. So the first one was in Bali and I was speaking there and I was kind of on business. But this second one was amazing in terms of quality of networking, ideas, partnerships. And that's how we met. That's why we're here today. Exactly. We're si- we're sitting at the dinner table over a, a bottle of red wine and uh, creme brulee and other other uh, bits of uh, food that was being uh, given to us. And uh, it was interesting because we both kind of have this concept of, of helping teams, you know, be their best version of themselves, you know, like be, be able to be productive. But the difference is, is virtual teams versus in-person teams can be a handful, right? Like a lot, it's a fairly new thing for some people to manage, not necessarily to manage themselves, but to manage teams. And I'd love for you to share with the the listeners here, what led you down the path to say, Hey, I need to help virtual teams, not just teams in general, but virtual ones to, to kind of coach them so that they can be the best versions of themselves. Yes. Yes. My journey was quite organic. I was leading and managing virtual teams for big multinationals for roughly 15 years, altogether 20, but five of them, I was a team member and then 15 managing large teams. I was headed by the services for Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa. And uh, from these experiences, from my successes, but mainly from the mistakes that I've done, I've developed a method for leading virtual teams. 
And age 42, kind of a midlife crisis, I decided to leave my corporate life, although it was successful, you know, I've reached senior levels, we have two global awards, and to dedicate myself to become a keynote speaker or motivational speaker, that was my dream, and still I'm living this dream. But my topic from day one was leading virtual teams or virtual power teams, how my company is uh, done. So I wanted to share my experience. I, I saw that the virtual teams are going to not just to stay, but to grow. And I'm talking 2014, eight years, nine years ago. And with COVID, everything um, kind of exploded. And now we are fully remote, fully asynchronous. For many of the like small companies, they go fully remote. So, yes, I started with my big corporate experience and still my client base are mainly big, but now it's very, very um, rewarding and challenging to support scaling, you know, scale ups right. uh, in, on their remote journey. So what would you say to somebody who is starting to deal with a distributed team or a distributed workforce or virtual team? they've been so used to dealing with an in-person team, or maybe they are going with a hybrid option where they've got virtual mixed with, because mm -hmm. I think this, there's a lot of fear around that. We still see some of that, you know, like I can't see them working. Therefore, how do I know they're working or, yes. and we're seeing uh, more and more in the news these days, globally, not just in the United States, Canada, Europe, where it's like, we need to get people back into the, back into the office. Um, why, what are some of the things that, that you feel that you could apply from the, you know, in-house workforce where you could see them that can be translated or transferred to virtual teams with l less friction than most people would expect? Yes. Um, I have a whole method called the 10 big rocks. You know, these are the 10 success factors, but I wouldn't go through the whole list of 10, mm -hmm. I would mention maybe three or four or max five. One is, you know, key element is trust. You know, all this I'm controlling, I don't trust if they work or watch Netflix. And to build trust remotely require particular um, skill set and particular kind of to provide time and space for people to uh, build this trust. And, one of my aspects, and this is big rock number one, is personality in focus. Mm. Some managers say, I don't see the people, why should I bother what are they as individuals? The more remote your team, the more you need to provide on a regular basis, not too much time for them to unfold their personality. And their exercises which work, some of them take five to 10 minutes, some are even within like 30 seconds, like flash intro and personal lifeline, and I have like three or four which have been tested. People connect you know, on a heart-to-heart, -heart, human to human level. If you let the person to present as a holistic human being, not just as an expert, they connect. And it really works magic. So although it's not rocket science, you know, the exercises are quite simple. So put the personality in focus, support building trust, provide these moments on a regular basis, and you are much, much ahead of the people who just treat them as an experts and have a plan and so on. Second one is, again, simple, applicable for local teams. I call it strengths matrix, my second big rock. Strengthening the strengths instead of developing the weaknesses within the team. So in a poorly led team, particularly remote or virtual or distributed, people feel anonymous, isolated, not appreciated. If you just put some conscious time to, to develop, to discover their strengths, and it's like a peer coaching process, very quick and efficient. Right. People discover their strengths and talents. We put it on a strengths matrix. 
the new feeling emerges. Instead of anonymous, isolated, people feel like heroes because every one of us brings a particular skill set. And when they see the other talents and strengths, with this bouquet of skills and mix of talents, we could achieve any goal that we set to ourselves. So it's really a very rewarding moment in these workshops. After the first two big rocks, a new feeling emerges, much more. And then the third one is interdependent goals, you know, not the goals, the boss to delegate, but there is a fine-tuned process to set the goal bottom up. I always say the virtual team is like the atom. We have a nucleus and various particles flying around. And in a virtual team, we aim to retain the gravity despite the distance. Mm. The gravity between the individual team members, which are the particles in this model, towards the nucleus. But the nucleus is not the boss, not the founder. This is the team purpose and goal. And therefore, we put a lot of emphasis to set this goal bottom up. So everyone is committed. And when we put it and we put like uh, roadmaps, people pick their goals and milestones from the roadmap based on their strengths. So just by the process of goal setting and link it to the strengths and putting them as individuals, you're already much ahead. You have much more gravity in this atom towards the goal. And the time zones, the distance is not such a barrier. Do you think that there, the friction that can show up, first off, can derail a team? I would imagine, I mean, but, but secondly to that is when, when something goes wrong, you know, when something doesn't you know, get cultivated or nurtured, because it sounds like this is what a lot of this is. And, and it, truth be told, I mean, I saw a lot of that being talked about at the conferences. I'm sure you did as well. Mm-hmm. What, uh, as an industry expert in this, this field, how do you help leaders mm-hmm. deal with the inevitable, you know, kind of um, hiccups that can happen mm-hmm. because I think those can be discouraging and it's those little things. And I see this with, 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 you know, productivity practices as well, where it's like, if one domino falls, you know, the whole thing collapses or if one card, you know, lands the wrong way, then, you know, the whole house of cards tumbles. So how do you help, you know, leaders who are really, they really want to do this, but when hiccups come along, they either get discouraged or maybe they, you know, the people that they're working with feel validated because, Hey, look, see, this can't work. I told you this wouldn't work. Um, How do you help them deal with those hiccups? Yes. I think it is preemptive part, which is very important. And then this is the reactive part when the friction or conflict already arise. Preemptive is, um, and I've mentioned already, if you discover the strengths of the people and they feel appreciated. I even give extra roles, you know, and knowledge champions and so on related to the strengths. One of the reasons for people to to go into conflict if if they kind of don't feel appreciated and they want to show their expertise or, you know, they want to somehow, um, yeah, if they are not fully utilized or appreciated, they have energy for conflict. So just by you know, discovering the strengths and talent, making public, giving additional roles and putting a lot of praise on people delivering, you already, um, some of the energy that may go into, into conflict is already channeled in a constructive behaviors and goals. Um, second one is if the conflict arise, um, this is first test for the team. You know, there is people say, if there is a conflict, watch the energy in the room. If it like goes down or goes up, 
if you have this culture of openness, full transparency, psychological safety, you already allow people to kind of make mistakes, speak up, support them, don't override them and so on. The team is already ready to deal with conflict and they will not hide it or so on. And you could have a, a session. So that's maybe also partly preemptive to establish the culture where people can speak up, not being afraid that they will be fired and so on. You know, this psychological safety, which is a huge, you know, term that Google came with their Google Aristotle is a number one characteristic of all successful teams. And then if the conflict is already there, all preemptive work is done, but you know, we live in a very agile times, it's easy, then go into it ideally as soon as possible. You as a as a leader, you know, take the conflicting party and try to kind of mediate. Or use again the team formats, could be online formats that you have regular meetings, could be also this, uh, you know, retreats that almost all remote teams do like once or twice a year. And don't look at PowerPoint and so on, use it for problem resolution, you know, get people together. How can we support you? So if there is a conflict and you have, you know, two or three other people, they could get into a constructive way and somehow resolve it. So, yes. Establish the culture, establish the strengths, and then deal with it as soon as possible in a bigger or a smaller group. But uh, you need to set some culture elements and you need to constantly praise them, like speaking up, like if you mm. do a mistake to say, hey, I made a mistake, not, you know, sweep it uh, below the carpet. There are many things you as a leader have to lead the way and praise the behaviors if the other behave in such a way, and then you will be much better prepared when the conflict arises. We we saw a lot of talk about artificial intelligence. AI came up a yes. lot at running remote. Um, yes. What impact have you already seen or that you're seeing that could come to pass uh, that is impacting, you know, virtual teams? Not necessarily, we hear a lot of doom and gloom around AI for a lot, but, but some of the stuff that you're like, hey, this is going to, this is promising. This is going to maybe free the leadership team up to do more of this nurturing and, and have AI yes. handle some of the, the kind of maintenance stuff. So I'd love to hear some thoughts yes. on that because it's, it's definitely a hot button issue. Yes, absolutely. No, I'm a, I'm an optimist, probably in any field, including now with the AI. I'm a firm believer that AI will uh, increase our productivity a lot, like 10x in the early days and more. And it will not eat, it will not kind of uh, endanger our jobs, but people that use AI smartly, they could take our jobs. So we'd rather be on the front line of using AI, improving our productivity and be on the leading edge. And now, um, what I'm, I'm preparing, actually, uh, you know, I was nine years building virtual power teams. Now I will start building power teams with people and AI, including generative AI, AI and chat GPT and so on. And what I'm seeing now, um, it is, there are some elements which uh, are similar to integrating people team member and they're purely uh, like technological elements, but some of the success stories of the company that implemented not generative AI, but other AI, they kind of humanize it. They humanize it, they give it a name, they introduce it, they celebrate birthdays and so on. So by doing this, but it goes hand in hand, make it like, um, you know, a human with a name, with an avatar and so on. 
but also be clear on the limitations because uh, the limitations and the dangers people need to be very clear how it can help us what is in for me you know how can i improve my productivity but also what are the limitation risks and what are the the dangers and if you kind of like in design thinking persona if you humanize it you could develop like strengths and weaknesses and um, i've seen it in uh, fmcgs where they automated significant amount of processes and reduced significant amount of manual or semi-manual work and just by humanizing it, it um, the change management process was much smoother. So again, I'm an optimist. There will be many different solutions, but full transparency and uh, you know honoring the mistakes, celebrating the mistakes that we will do on the way. This will certainly help. It's definitely a brave new world. Um, I want to shift gears and talk about something that you've written about on your website: the idea of knowledge flow. You know, keeping mm-hmm. knowledge flow both in virtual and hybrid teams. Uh, you talk about explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. I, I, I think it's interesting when when people are trying. Some people make this more than it needs to be. Right? They they tend to make it more complicated. I noticed that when I was on stage with David Allen at the event and we were talking about like certain things and David was basically just saying, just do it, write it down. Mm -hmm. Like very simple stuff. Um, the way that I, when I was going through this post, I'm like, this is very, there's a lot of clarity around not necessarily the knowledge like pieces, but just like the categorization. So I'm going to link to this blog post, but let's use that as an example of the importance of almost like, um, very well understood classification and categorization for both teams. Like how important is it for people virtually and, you know, working within the office, how, how important is it for them to number one, be on the same page right out of the gate. And secondly, how do you make sure that, that we don't see one team getting ahead, you know, five chapters into the book while another team is like in the, on the first chapter, like how do you make sure these things stay aligned? Yes, I think my approach is like twofold. One is I always believe in, you know, people leading with passion. So, and therefore, when we discover the strengths, those of us who have like expertise, they are like the expert having a deep expertise because you may have generalist skills and and so on and human skills like, you know, empathy and so on. But those who have a like technical expertise, I would define as a knowledge champions and they will be the custodians. They will be the one to drive those knowledge area. So you have somebody who is naturally passionate about it. It's much easier. And then you need for sure a system when they could put it in a structured way, people can, you know, like comment and so on. So this knowledge becomes already a live uh, organism with, uh, with the system. So it's very important to find the right people to drive the priority knowledge areas of your business. And second is, be conscious about this, uh, you know, uh, explicit and tacit knowledge, which is linked to the the strong ties and uh, like weak ties within the organization. Because when everybody is in the office, it was kind of easier. You know who to contact somehow. You have a lot of informal uh, opportunities to meet and to build upon this knowledge, exchange ideas. So the the, the weak ties were nurtured naturally. Now, the strong ties, which are usually with your team members, you know, your boss and so on, even in a remote or hybrid environment, they're still strong. Supposedly, you have, you know, regular meetings and opportunity to exchange. 
But the weak ties which nurture the, the, the tasting knowledge, they have to be organized. You have to be aware which is it. And now it becomes even more fluid, not just the other departments and cross-functional, but also outside of the organization. And now even AI who kind of generate content. So this have to be organized, orchestrated, not underestimated because it's not coming naturally. It has to be on the priority list of uh, of the leader. And if he is not uh, kind of so good in this space, certainly someone in the team would be who could be like the knowledge management director in a, like in the orchestra uh, who would consciously capture we will have a map of strong and weak ties and how we nurture this and that. It requires conscious effort. Um, yes, so the combination between the knowledge champions and then being aware and having a plan to nurture the weak ties and the tacit knowledge will make you much more people will be on the same page. You won't lose, you know, people all through the cracks. I've been thinking about this um, since we went to the conference and since, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about this because it's definitely something that you, you, you could speak to more than I can. We're seeing a rise of like chief remote officers, chief, you know, yes. like this idea of um, the, the, we, the remote workforce is a real thing, the distributed workforce, which I think that term came up a lot more. And I actually quite like the idea of the distributed team versus remote and, and then not remote because, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I almost wonder if there is a separation that's uh, further, galvanized when you say this person's in charge of our remote workforce. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it creates almost this, it's unintentional, I think, but it creates this yeah. separation. Whereas, so, so do you think that the, the idea of a chief remote officer is a good one? Uh, is it a sustainable one? Or do we need to figure out a way that to kind of merge these roles so that the workforce as distributed, no one feels Hey, I'm yes. remote. This is a remote person and this is not a remote person. Cause I think that that's where some of the animosity might not only start to show up, but like proliferate. Absolutely. No, I'm firm believer that it has to be a um, universal approach towards uh, remote and non-remote people. And it requires a leadership mindset change, particularly the old school, you know, I can trust them, I see them, and those that I don't see, I don't trust so much. Right. Or I, it's natural to spend more time with the people that I see, the others, they should have come up. All these require a conscious effort to give equal attention, uh, to provide equal coaching, and so on. So it has to be a holistic approach, and sometimes it's more work, and therefore, if you are like fully remote, as also on the conference, is is simpler than being hybrid. And probably hybrid is a, just a transition stage. You know, there are some office-based roles, but for the rest, you know, they're like archetypes, home office, flex, you know, office or hybrid, and then office. I guess it will be remote and office just staying. Uh, but uh, to your question, it shouldn't be just chief remote officer. It's chief people officer have to ensure that remote or satellite members get equal attention, equal opportunities, career opportunities, training. In case of conflict uh, and, and coaching, they have equal chance with the others. Uh, otherwise, you would lose productivity, which is your topic, and mm -hmm. your performance will suffer. Uh, last question before we, we wrap things up. Um, you spoke about productivity just there. I, I think that that's the other 
concern is the measuring of it. You know, like, you know, the idea of I can't see you, therefore I don't know what you're doing. But meanwhile, we all know that there's people uh, who will be in the office for 10 hours a day and do like four hours of work. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or, or they can get it done whether they're doing it. So it, it, it works two ways. It's interesting. Um, you've got, and I mean, this doesn't just, by the way, let me be abundantly clear for it. This doesn't just happen in like blue, you know, white collar, like office tech job. It, it, when I worked at Costco, there were people that just put in the bare minimum. They'd be there for the eight hours and they, they would do, you know, whatever the, the job entailed no more, no less, which I'm not vilifying at all. But then you've got people that would put it, be there for eight hours and do what would seem like 12 hours worth of work. Question yes. is, is that really what they were, were they doing 12 hours worth of work or were they doing eight hours worth of work? And was the other person doing really only four hours? So it's not just, so this is where things get muddy, right? Because it's like, how do you measure it without like, what are some of the tools that you and the ways you recommend that, leaders manage their distributed teams so that they don't fall into the trap of quantified productivity alone, which is not entirely mm-hmm. what product. I mean, we talked about this at dinner. Yes. I believe productivity and people have heard this first off. I don't like the term productivity anymore. I think it's been broke. It's been broken for a while. It needs some reframing, but product to be productive is to take your intention and then you know, marry it or tether it to your attention, like, and then just do that repeatedly. That's then, then you get faster, then you get better, but it's that, it's that constant link. And the problem is, is I think that there's been so much, uh, focus on get as much done as we can in as little time as we can, as opposed to let's make the best stuff we can in the time we have and finding like a reasoned balance to those. So how mm-hmm. do you help teams that are like, cause that's where they'll jump ship. They'll be like, Nope, you know what? Um, I can't see it or I, I don't know how to measure it. So therefore let's just put everybody back in the, in, you know, back in the, in the house and back in the office. And uh, I mean, we all know there's other side effects to this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on like some of the tools and, and mechanisms that you, you use or share that will help people who are stuck measuring basic quantitative productivity without taking qualitative into as much account. Yes. I think tools, I wouldn't uh, recommend tools, but you have to be clear on your KPIs. Um, And, you know, people do like key results areas now. And, um, um, but if you know your KPIs, then you would need systems that can measure and correlate the time spent on particular activities and the impact on the KPI. And for example, Time Doctor, that one of the founders of Ringing Remote, uh, Liam, has developed is a good one mm-hmm. that you know gives you where you spend your time and how it links to your KPIs. And I think this will be a major shift because in the office, you have kind of a relatively fat layer of middle management who sometimes translate the performance, you know, you everybody is eight hours there, and then you have uh, KPIs, but your performance, the manager sometimes make a subjective uh, judgment. Where if you have a system who measure objectively the time you spend and the results, you don't need a translator. And that's what happens with many of the scale-ups that go fully remote. They become thinner. They have, you know, the finders, the captains, the, the leadership team, and then you have an army of uh, experts 
and a very good system configured to measure the effort and to link it to the KPI. And then you have a very uh, productive discussion as a, as a manager. You know, if you see that the KPI is suffering, how can I help you? What happened? It's not, you know, through the chain with a delay and so on. So I think uh, the right, configure the right system and also having a clear goals and KPIs, having the system that measures the effort and can link it to the KPIs will uh, ensure we have, you know, a much more clear discussion and result-oriented discussion on uh, effectiveness, productivity, whatever we call it. So Peter, as we wrap up, one final question. If somebody wants to start, you know, powering up their virtual team today, They've already got one established, small or big, doesn't really matter. What's one simple action they could take right now to mm-hmm. elevate things, take things to the next level? Yes. Um, I think I would still start. I would like list three things, but I would just lean one or say one that I already mentioned. Spend some time and let people unfold their personality. Like one easy format is throw their lifeline, life journey from the date of birth with the highlights and lowlights. Do this as a preparation, present in five to 10 minutes. You will have a lot more trust, a lot more direct communication and not email. You will feel in a different space. For sure, you need to continue this personal kind of journey later on. But I assure you, if you do that and you invest like two hours on a two pizza team, six people, you will have a major uh, impact on performance because the trust level will grow, communication will speed up, and in the end, you will get more time. Peter, this has been a great conversation. Where can people keep up with you and the work that you're doing? So um, on my webpage, peter-ivanov.com, I post blogs and videos. On my YouTube channel, there are many videos with tips about leading virtual teams. And I have two books. One was one is called Virtual Power Teams. It's been translated in six languages. The other is called Power Team Beyond Borders. First is more business context. The other is also global communities tackling the challenges of humanity. Both are on Amazon. So if you want a short kind of uh, <clears throat> impulse, go to the YouTube channel on my webpage. If you want to learn more, and check the books. Peter, it's been great. I'm glad we were able to continue this conversation that we had in Lisbon uh, just a few weeks ago as we're recording this. Thanks so much for having a productive conversation with me today. Thank you, Mike. It's been an honor. Thanks to Peter for joining me. You can check out all of the relevant links, show notes, stuff, and everything at productivityist.com slash podcast 483. And the other thing you can do while you're listening to this on whatever device you're using, whatever app you're using, is hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode. You can check out all of the 480 plus episodes quickly and easily that are in our archives, as well as make sure you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. The other way to support the show is to visit our sponsors page. That way you can check out some of the sponsor offers you heard during our conversation today. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check that out. That's it for this episode of A Productive Conversation. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, your host, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.